Good morning, listeners. This is your host, Kareem Kanji. Thank you for tuning in today. If you are new, you could find all past episodes at www.kareemkanji.com. And uh, if you subscribe, thank you for doing so. And please feel free to rate and review. That would be really, really awesome. And I am thankful for that. Today's episode, I am so excited to speak to the creators of Next Stop. It is a, uh, a series of shorts that talk about the experiences of black Torontonians struggling to stay afloat, to stay sane in this little city that's trying to be big. It was made by first-time filmmakers Jabari Weeks, Tashanta Pambwa, and Phil Whitmer. You can find the next stop for free on CBC Gem. Please go do so. You will enjoy, you will laugh, and you will relate. So here is my conversation with the creators of the next stop. Hope you enjoy. Congratulations. You guys, I just realized you guys won standout producer for a short. Yes, yes. Yeah. Awesome. Now, which, which festival was this at? A uh, real world film festival. Nice. Yeah. That is great. Who would have thought back in 2018, eh? No. <laughs> no, not us. Who <laughs> really would have thought? <laughs> yeah. That is good. Like, what I, by, it was, that first episode uh, that I watched, um, that was awesome. I can't believe these are first-time actors uh, that that you had. So they they did an amazing job. Yes, they did. Uh, yeah. Jordan and Vanessa are great. Yeah. Did you guys are they like buddies of yours from before, or how did that happen? Uh, Jordan was a friend of mine and a coworker. Um, he was also a coworker of Phil's. Um, so. He, and I guess I might as well get into it. Yeah, like he's kind of like one of the, I guess, quote unquote, founding fathers of this thing by accident. Um, and then through okay. him, we had um, two other, well, a friend of his and then a friend of uh, Tashan's come in to kind of audition against him. And um, one of those women was Vanessa, who you see, and they have a, a very great relationship uh, filled with, you know, humor and a lot of anger. Uh, beautifully yeah uh, yeah just we just said like this is great you guys uh should be beside each other on camera yeah they were they were really good they were really really good arguing about where where the best patties are well we'll we'll, we'll get into that because i was <laughs> i was upset you didn't mention uh, a subway station i think has the best one but anyways <laughs> um I don't know what station that is i wonder what that's <laughs> 20 so 2019 is when you guys started putting out these films. When did you just start making them? Uh, that would have been 2018. Mm -hmm. um, what was it, like uh, February, March, yeah. February, March? March? Yeah, like March is when you shot Beef. Middle of the cold, yeah. Yeah. That is were when you, we started, yeah. Were you guys still working at, like, are all, are all of you from Vice previously? Uh, no, just me yeah. and Phil. Yeah. Okay, okay. Deshaun, where, like, where were you at? Um, so I used to work at um, Brunico, uh, pretty much an event company that does uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. TV, uh, media agency events. Uh, so that's where I was. Very familiar with them. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the media space myself. Yes, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, you've gone to some of the events. Um, I'm pretty yeah. sure I've sold you a ticket or checked <laughs> you in at one of the, <laughs> the devil. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to have to search you in my e in my work <laughs> they might have been ignoring your emails like eons ago. Incredible. <laughs> so, so let me. So, twenty, 
So we're in 2020, 2019 is when it came out. 2018 is when he started filming it. Yeah. Uh, you guys were like done with work at that point in time or what, what's the no, story me, there? Me, me and Jabari were still working at Vice. I know I only uh, got laid off from Vice, I want to say June or July 2018. So, yeah. and then Jabari, you were let go like January 2019? Yeah. February? Um, yeah. Or February, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So we were both still working there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so 2018, so Jordan, Jordan had just gotten let go, like, two weeks before we started shooting. Um, and then Vanessa had been out of a job for maybe, like, a year prior. Okay. And then, like, uh, basically our, like, the entire crew, um, basically, I was just, like, they had some experience or they had a bit of experience, but they weren't getting as many gigs as possible. So everyone was just kind of like open to trying something new. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, again, me and Phil would subsequently get laid off later, but especially working in media. Um, I think we all had sort of, I definitely thought I, I was, I had like a little game with myself that I was going to get laid off before the end of 2018. I'm like, yeah, it's time. You know, the gravy train needs to end. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it was, it would be the following year. And unfortunately, Phil would have uh, went before me. Yeah. 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 So, so tell me where, where did the genesis of next stop begin? Where did that come from? Bad ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, bad ideas. Like uh, late night, bad ideas with yeah. some yeah. like some bad uh, alcohol or what, what's happening there? So, I was, no, I was going to say tons of honest uh, critique as well from our friends, but no, it's yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Um, yeah. <laughs> I want to say, so 2016, 2017 um, is when I think we started seriously considering um, possibly like taking a dive into film. Um, mm -hmm. So at that point, I had kind of felt, despite the fact that I think I was just made editor uh, advice, but I felt like I was kind of reaching a ceiling and a ceiling that wasn't going to last for very, uh, for very much longer. Um, so around that time, it was again, just like picking up script books, reading, like I would like, not very slightly, like start asking Phil about his interest in films. And he always, he has like a wide interest and library of knowledge in terms of all types of content. Um, and then just kind of talking to Jordan, uh, one of the co-stars or one of the stars about like, you know, what would you like to see in film if we were to ever do this thing? And like, what are your conversations? Have you ever edited film before? And I think that's specifically me and Jordan talking in the editing suites about like what we'd like to do in terms of film and like the lack of representation when it comes to black Torontonians yeah. kind of just started picking up and then, um, I would have a conversation with Tashawn in the same year. Um, Cause I always like made the joke prior to like, oh yeah, you know, me and Tashawn are gonna get into filming and Tashawn would just wave it off and like, the fuck that's not happening. Um, <laughs> like no experience, you guys didn't study this in school or nothing? No, no. no. Well, <laughs> Tashawn, um, um, yeah, I was part of a program called the City Life Film Project. Um, oh. And that was a, um, I guess a four month um, intensive, I guess, uh, curriculum, I guess, uh, that was um, held by Temple Street and the Remix Project. Yeah. Um, and in it, um, at the end, um, all three filmmakers got their short films made. Um, and I was one of the three. So that was my introduction to the film and TV industry in Toronto. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was just like the start. Yeah. What, what, yeah, what year was that? Uh, that was 2013. So there was still very much a long gap. There was still yeah. very much a long gap of just like, okay, well, I've done that program, so now it's a lot of like doing indie stuff and like you know um, starting production companies with friends and all that good stuff. Just trying to like find a way back in, in into the industry. And doing so, doing like social videos. I think I saw one where you're trying to get a weave or something like that. Yes, oh, but that came after. That actually was yeah, that was this year as well. Yeah, that's yeah. a recent yeah. one. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah, just from, yeah, again, from 2016, just slowly picking up, like, just buying a bunch of film books, like, studying on YouTube, taking notes. And then eventually, we just got in contact with a cinematographer uh, through a friend of Jordan's who uh, was also kind of doing, giving us content for specifically Phil to write. Um, and then, yeah, just through the network of friends, we just decided, like, 
okay, I guess let's really start doing this seriously. Um, so we would have like sneak auditions after work. So basically, yeah, like after six, um, I would just sit around like not doing anything. No one's paying attention to me. It's a big office. And then like have Vanessa. And then there was another uh, woman who would come in as well, just kind of audition, go over scripts. And then like, it would just kind of slowly pick up over 2017. And then, yeah, at that point, I think we had decided, because again, we wanted to, um, what's the name of that HBO show? Room 401? Room 104. Or whatever. Yeah. We thought like we were going to do like this whole apartment series where like, you know, one be a drama, then it'd be a murder or something like that. And some really bad Halle Berry movie where she sees her neighbor die or some crap like that. Um, And then after running through all of those, we just kind of realized like, hey, maybe we should just kind of start thinking about the Black Toronto experience and like we can put a lot of our wild interests but like maybe let's just figure out a simple story of like two people from like either ends of Toronto having an argument about Toronto as an excuse to kind of just kind of run wild for like four or five minutes but also have a conversation about a lot of things like um, again like a bit of gentrification especially like finding a place to live yeah. Um, but yeah, just having that hidden behind the humor. Um, so I would. It was an organic process, but it just yeah. came down to. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because I was going to ask, like, how do you get from, you know, wanting to just create stuff, to, really talk? Even in that first episode, there's some there's some like important shit in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, that can get lost if people just focus on the patty. Yes, and I, I was like, I think all the patty is the, right, like yeah. amongst each other, right? Sorry, say that again? No, it's conversations we'd already been having, just like idly. Like I remember at like at Vice, I know me and Jabari would always like talk about like, oh, the state of like music, music writing, uh, pop culture writing. And then that extends to like, okay, bigger social stuff about rent, about where stuff is going. Trends is always like, trends and like how stuff affects each other is always like what we're just talking about idly. So yeah. it's like, yeah, so it's natural to kind of write about that, I, I would figure. But I, I know... Sean can speak more because he was more involved in the writing of these. No, 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 not even like pretty much what Phil just pretty much said is just like some of those early ideas were really bad. Um, and I think um, that is when we kind of found a way back into like uh, really like honing in on the writing because um, we were not, I, I do remember one story and I'm not going to say that a lot, uh, but there was no nuance in the way that we were attacking some issues and we were just like, oh, we are really writing the same um, content that we critique as well. Um, uh, and these are just like exercises and stuff like that, like just to get us in that mode of like continuing to write um, stories. But yeah, that's when we kind of like took a step back and said, okay, yeah. let's really um, take a look at what we want to uh, explore in terms of uh, Toronto stories. Yeah. So, I, so I, I read somewhere that, so, so here's the question I want to ask. Um, yeah. You, you, you created something for yourselves. Was there a point in time where you said, let's try to get work at one of these places, you know, to, to pitch them, you know, uh, story ideas and such, rather than, you know, let's, let's, you know, cobble together as much money as we can to be, to be able to, whatever, buy equipment to hire people or whatnot. Like, was there a decision consciously at the beginning to, we're just doing our own shit or, or was there, was there an attempt to uh, go and do it through other established uh, media organizations? No, from the, from the jump, it was, we were going to do it ourselves. I think, um, I think the quote you're maybe referring to is the idea of uh, trying to make a blueprint for ourselves. And then huh. as we got a bit more established, we would maybe start like, okay, here's our CV. We've kind of done this before and that's how we would dip into the industry. Yeah. But next up was always going to be like, let's self-fund this. Let's give ourselves total control to figure out like what the writing, what our writing style is, what we like, what we don't like, and like really improve and just kind of slow walk our progress um, until we found we were at a point where we were like, hey, we have something to show off to other people and like try and get ourselves a bit more ingratiated in the, indus- the film industry specifically. Yeah. Is there an issue with young Black people getting into like a foothold in Canada's film yes. and TV industry? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, obviously, there's um, 
not that many models, I guess, of like five-pairs uh, self-funding, uh, but even just the um, process of getting grants and getting funding, um, I would say during, that, during the same time, uh, let's just say even like trying to entertain that idea of looking for funding, um, there were many Facebook groups that were popping up and they were just like, oh, hey, please sign up for um, this panel that will tell us like how to, um, the type of language you have to use to make sure that you, uh, you guarantee that you get funding. Um, and obviously this is pre-COVID, so um, sure. it would be in person, it wouldn't be over Zoom. Um, and they would fill up within the first 10 minutes. Um, and these groups are very specific or very niche. So I would say black Toronto or black creatives in Toronto would not have access to that because they would be, they'll need to be aware of those Facebook groups and also be, need to be aware that, oh, there's an event coming. So like even that process of even trying to find out the proper way to like start signing up for funding and grants is, mm -hmm there's almost like a limit to it or a barrier. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting you bring that up and you sort of having a life in, in media before with, with Brutico. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is an issue that we face in the media space, media slash advertising marketing space, where it's like, you know, you got to go if you want to be a, a, an organization that embraces diversity and inclusion. You almost have to forego doing the same thing you've always been doing, like going to LinkedIn to post a job thing or sort of going to sort of the normal places because there might be this whole community of people that just don't go, that might be so damn qualified, yeah. but don't go to the same places that we go to. That Sometimes you got to go out of your way to search for, for people um, that you want to be, that you want to have on your team or in the case of of what you guys are doing you know how do you get more black people more people of color more indigenous people uh more women to 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 participate uh in, in different industries in, yeah in and definitely and like even uh, working at Brunico and having access to these great events because i was just like i was there firsthand but i was staff and yeah i could see the amount of connections and networks that people that attend um, we're getting over the course of the event, but then a normal ticket price for one of these events were a thousand dollars. Forget it. Um, and that's not including airfare. That's not including your lodging. Um, and it's almost like, Oh, that's an immediate bearer. And like, obviously there's like different, um, funding bodies that are helping. Um, but like those are only limited to three people. Um, and these events are open Canada wide. So it's just, yeah. Definitely, I've seen it firsthand in terms of events, uh, yeah. media and TV. In the, the end of the first episode, obviously the credits roll, you got U2-1, you got U2, no. and then you've got Weather, like Weather's a, a character. Yes. <laughs> and what yeah. was it, Mother Nature and her cold, I can't remember exactly. Cold, miserable self. Yeah. Cold, miserable self. Jabari, did you write that in? Was that yours? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had made, um, I guess, it's not a mistake in retrospect, but it is definitely a mistake. You know, you generally, your first time shooting, you don't do outside because you can't control it. Um, we thought like, yeah, it would be cool. Like we're going to shoot outside. It's going to be blue. It's going to be cold. We actually wanted more snow. Um, thank God we didn't get it. Um, but yeah, we had the misfortune of like shooting where the, when we're panning down or tilting down, um, where that apartment is, we were like beside like a pair of trees. So there's like a weird wind tunnel happening. So literally every part of this neighborhood that we have never been before, like we would just decide to shoot there yeah. uh, with no permits, obviously. <laughs> um, we're just like, yeah, it's warm. It's great. Uh, let's get excited. It's 7 a.m. in the morning. Um, and then there would just be like this wind tunnel that would just like have all of us dying like for two hours. And Vanessa specifically, like, she's smaller in frame. So, like, we thought we were prepared. So we had, like, these weird, like, Canadian tire wristbands that are supposed to heat up the arms and feet. None of those worked. So, like, Vanessa was, like, freezing her feet off. Um, so, you know, it was just, again, a reminder that Mother Nature does not like us. Um, but, you know, <laughs> she was definitely a character in the story. And we wanted to give her her proper due. And it's just, it's yeah. shooting in March um, on a very low budget. Like, yeah, I know <laughs> a lot of it was stupid. I don't regret it, but it's stupid. Yeah. Well, let, let me ask you this. You know, Jabari said you don't regret it, but at the time, did you sort of think in the back of the head, 
in the back of your mind, what the heck am I doing here? Yes, but unfortunately, <laughs> I put myself in those situations often. So I'm like, I'm just going to keep running. Um, I think um, specifically to beef and then obviously you start revising and we, there's definitely a concerted effort to shoot inside. Um, I think going in, like we prepared ourselves as best as we could. And I think ultimately it was a really great lesson in the fact that like, you know, we spent months like, okay, how are we going to shoot outside coverage? How are we going to do this quickly? How are we going to keep everybody warm? And just all of that failed and just kind of having to adapt pretty quickly to the process just to get something like salvageable out of it. So yeah. like increasingly, like we, we have to learn very quickly, like within the first one or two hours, like, okay, what shots are important? Okay, that shot is not, yeah. not a value, it can go. Certain shots we lost because it was so cold outside, the camera just like, just shut down. Jeez. Know, just like, you know, fight or flight, like just surviving the process. It's that surprise of that wind tunnel. That wind tunnel was yeah, like, that was, it, that was the cherry on top of the cake. It was just like, really? Like, it's already cold. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> If you hadn't have told me, I wouldn't have known because you can't tell, like whoever, I don't know if it's an editing thing or, or, or a film thing, they did a great job because you cannot tell that it's windy and you can imagine it's cold, but you can't tell that it's so Yeah, no, we have so to wait. Uh, that was what killed us. We'd like be sitting, you know, there's a huge sign on electrical boxes, don't sit. We're going like, we need to sit somewhere and just wait for this wind to pass. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, so yeah, bad mistakes all, all around. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you for, for that credit you gave us. Yeah. So when episode one is how long? Five? Is it five, six five minutes? Five minutes. Yeah. Four, yeah, four and a half. Yeah. Yeah. How long did it take? Two days. Jeez. Um, <laughs> we shot in two locations. Um, so yeah, one in like uh, this house. I don't remember where the number somewhere on the west side. Um, by Broadview Station. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Yes. And then the other one, then we found this like abandoned bus stop, like the best possible bus stop we could find that would be like, I mean, we thought it was going to be less, tra traffic. less traffic, but yeah, no, that was also crazy. Um, Cause yeah, we had to wait maybe like 15 and 20 minutes for like the buses to pass. Cause we'd get like a clean run for maybe five to 10 minutes. And then the buses would start coming and then the bus would be confused as if we were going to get on the bus <laughs> or if we were like waiting across the road people obviously see cameras they want to honk yes um so again that one we thought like yeah we'll be in and out of the bus stop that was a lie too um but yeah um it was an experience yeah. and it was cold and there's like yeah there's a lot of footage that we shot in front of the bus stop that were just like in the editings we were going like wow that all has to go like it's just oh, no. taking up too much too much time dragging it and uh yeah um were you surprised that all of that was only four and a half minutes? No. Yeah. Or you guys knew ahead of time? And I was like, we, yeah. Yeah, no, we knew ahead of time because pretty much we understood that like a page of the script is one minute uh, or estimating one yeah. about one minute. All right. All right. Um, so we weren't in knowing like, okay, this will probably be around the four, oh, four five, six yeah. minute mark. But to know like the final point that it's at uh, that it's at right now is like when we really understood that like okay to tell the best story we kind of had to like shave off um sure. uh, a couple yeah. more minutes because yeah definitely if we wanted the director's cut it'll probably be six minutes um but it's not as exciting it's not it's not <laughs> there's an early cut that was eight minutes because oh, okay. we yeah. literally had them like fighting like at the bus stop yeah. like in a really ridiculous way and that was like two minutes of them like it's entertaining but it's just like it just dragged the story and it's like it needs to go yeah what was the initial story for episode one? What was that story supposed to be about? Um, I think I think everything is pretty there. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like I think um yeah, everything is everything focused on the patty, uh that definitely happened. Anything in regards to like again the little specific comments at the top, uh, talking about like pineapples, no frills, and like, oh, are you gonna move out of this apartment or whatnot was literally decided on the day of um i think we were just like that's a good call we should do that um but yeah no pretty much everything that happened in the episode was like scripted out like i think for us like again we were just so shook like we don't know what we're doing 
so we kind of overplanned, and again most of that fell through but like especially when it came to the script and like storyboarding everything like it was pretty tight we knew yeah. exactly how we wanted to shoot it and what we wanted to get pretty quickly so in beef it starts off with they're they're leaving an apartment it's like yeah. one of them was looking for a place to live yeah uh and i know in pool i think yeah. in pool as well right there's some talk of expensive like it's expensive to yes. live here yeah. um talk talk to me about uh, how important i mean geez it's i mean i can talk personally so i'm rambling on because i don't know sort of how to approach this but housing is freaking expensive here i don't care how much like it's it's stupid right like i every time i start getting making a decent amount of income housing prices have like eclipsed (laughs) and then then it's okay i need to make this much money and so i make it and oh shit houses are just tripled in value and now it's like damn i should have bought way back when but but like i couldn't afford it back in the day exactly yeah you know um do you are you hoping to become, you guys are filmmakers, obviously now you've, you've put, you've put out stuff. Do you want to be filmmakers that speak to issue? And this is just one of the issues you, you talk about in, in, the, uh, in, in your series, but is this one of the, is this what you guys want to do with your art? Do you want to speak to these issues that, that face, whether it's black Torontonians or youth specifically? Uh, no, because it's like, the way I see it, it's more like, this is not only our, I mean, this, is, this isn't just our starting point, like, we're gonna be writing about what we are seeing every day and what we know about, so it's specifically to, like, the millennial, like, person of color, like, Black Indigenous experience in Toronto, like, we're going to start from that and we're going to kind of like write the hell out of those themes and ideas because like they're just not on a wider stage yet and if hopefully we can get them to a wider stage then that would be great uh i don't know if we would necessarily want to limit ourselves to just that though sure i guess it's your lived experience right so you write what you yeah for sure yeah yeah no absolutely like it's again like i think i've been saying a lot is just like these a lot of these scripts and such are just all based on like anecdotes or just like oh I heard a friend talk about this and that's like oh that would be a great story or that would be a great little piece of like characterizing dialogue and then it's just like but that's just like I don't know something I heard someone say and then it's like no 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 but it's actually there's a lot of context in it there's a lot of richness to it that random stray piece stray story you heard someone say or the random complaint someone had like to put it up there on a screen is just like, oh yeah, someone else can see that and think that, oh yeah, I've also had that experience. I've also had these thoughts. I didn't know someone else had these thoughts. Like, it seems like such a cliche idea, but yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. It's kind of a, I, I don't want to say like, like to make it like transcend the conversation because obviously I don't, we're not like speaking that highly of ourselves yet, but like, yeah, it, 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 it achieves something. It, it goes past what it was beforehand once you put it into a script, have actors do it, uh, keep it framed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I also just want to say, like, I'm just here so that everybody, like, laughs and cries at my struggles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also just to, like, I think uh, this is something that uh, Jabari has definitely taught me throughout this whole process. Um, it's just that um, the best, um, and, yeah, the best art is informed by... Um, your personal, uh, your personal touch or your personal identity or language. Um, and definitely, I feel like you don't have to like, uh, be tied to the direct story. There's definitely a film element that has to be brought in where it's like, okay, now, um, make it for an audience. But I feel like Mm -hmm. the best, the best stories always start at, uh, something that's personal to the writer, uh, or something Mm -hmm. that happens to the writer. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I'm always really interested in is I've got another podcast where I talk to musicians, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, people in the arts all, all face the same issues. And I think it's exacerbated with COVID-19 this year. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, how artists make a living. And in Canada, unfortunately, we, you know, there, there's a huge reliance on funding. 
right? Just because of the size of the population, right? So we need to foster the arts in Canada. It just can't be something organic because the population is just not dense enough. It's too small. And one of the things I get worried about is if we price all of this talent out of a city, out of, out of Toronto, and everyone sort of disperses, there's no, then we're not sort of rubbing shoulders or bumping into talent anymore. And so then, you know, stories uh, like Next Stop um, or, or Big Playas, that's also on, on CBC Gem, don't get told because they don't get made because the people aren't meeting anymore. And so um, I'm wondering what are, what are your thoughts on, you know, what can't, I don't know if you guys have the solutions or if you guys have ever thought about it or, or anything like that, but you, what can the public, people like myself do? What are you hoping that uh, the powers that be, the people that hold the purse strings do to enable not just to have money there to fund things, but to make it affordable so that, you know, so that the next Jabari, the next Deshaun, and the next Phil have a chance to, you know, meet each other one day and create art because they happen to live in the same city rather than being dispersed, right? So how do we make it more affordable? How do we make it easier? I think it's too... I mean, I do think one of the most insidious things, especially when it comes to film industry, is, again, awareness and obliviousness. Um, and I think um, there was actually a grant we were just uh, running through called, uh, I believe it's ISO. Um, and what they did was basically they just had like these questions and it was just very clear in terms of like, what's the mission goal of your film? How much do you think it'll cost? Give us a budget outline. And I think for me, especially in, um, in comparison to a lot of the grants that we're now starting to get a bit more comfortable with, there is, and Tashaun mentioned as well, there's a lack of language for people who have just never done this before. Um, so it's just like, okay, well, you can give money, you can say, hey, we're gonna dedicate, you know, this amount of funds to BIPOC talent, but how are they filling out those forms if they don't have the education in terms of like, these are the, this is the language you use to get money. This, these are the words that like will poke up and get people's interest. I think accessibility has to be first and foremost part of the conversation. So if you're gonna put out a grant that, and you want all communities to have fair access and equal opportunity to get into it, let's just use plain common language. Let's ask the most important stuff, which is budget, goal, focus, objective, how it's gonna impact the community, how it's gonna help the community uh, versus like, I think what we get into, which is like these 12 page spreadsheets like mark this box, mark this box, give us like an 800, analogy, 800 word analogy in terms of like why this thing might be important um, and don't use common language, like keep it super academic. And I think it keeps things exclusive. Yeah. And then more importantly, it's just like going beyond like the regular places that, you, um, that you're trying to pitch these people to. Cause I think, and this is coming specifically from the media industry that me and Phil were in terms of writers, there was a big push at a certain point, like, okay, let's get more BIPOC writers. How are we going to find them? Let's just say we're going to do this and then just let it happen. It's like, no, you have to go find those places. You have to go find the Facebook groups, the Twitter groups, the Instagram pages, the Reddit threads. There's so many groups that are now organizing themselves in terms of like, here's a list, a Google Doc of all the Black women who are writing. Pitch to them. There's no excuse. And I think the film industry has to take that same, like, active approach as well. It can't just be like, come hither, here, we have something for you and hope you guys find it. It's just like an active approach in terms of finding those groups that are looking for it. And people who didn't know that they could even apply. I think that's the most important thing. I don't think everyone, I mean, we went through it like financially to put this together, but I mean, there's still a privilege there where we kind of had some something yeah. like stable enough and didn't have to pay other people or take care of family where we could set money aside to pay for short films and like maybe not die from rent this month. Yeah. Um, that's not obviously accessible for everybody else. So it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just being accessible. And again, reaching out to the communities that you're saying you're trying to help. I think everything just comes down to taking an active approach. I, I want to ask, I want to get into some of the episodes and some of the themes you talk, but with, with that in mind, um, Jabari, how important was it then 
uh, that Amar from Scarborough Pictures, you know, found you guys, found, you know, found, found your work and sort of picked you guys up. How, how important is that to you guys? Super important. I mean, I don't think half of the things that are happening, well, not even half, more, more than that, to be honest, uh, would have taken off if he wasn't able to identify in the stories and just like, oh, I know what you guys were trying to do. You guys seem pretty confident considering you guys are first time filmmakers. I mean, what Amar has been able to do is very much like, again, taking that approach of reaching out and not just waiting. Um, there is maybe a degree of separation between him, uh, just with Jordan. Um, he happened to know Jordan from the Vice days. I kind of knew him, but not really much. Um, and he just reached out and was like, hey, I'm interested so much, not so much in like, I like beef, it's good. What else are you guys gonna continue to do? And like, when you guys have something, when you guys have a couple more shorts under your belt, like, let's keep the conversation going. And even before, the, while we were filming, we were just like, hey, how do we do this? How do we do this? And he was always like pretty open, like, here's where you go for this. And just, again, looking out for us in a way that I think none of us were really expecting. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, it just, it came to its, I guess, breaking, well, not breaking point, but I guess final moment where we just kind of, we had a bunch of episodes in our belt, uh, like small, but very loyal following who's watching our episodes. And he was just like, hey, I know a dude at CBC um, named Gabe seems to be looking for black content. Why don't you guys just talk to him? Again, sentiment we all have is just like, just show face, have a conversation with him, get a vibe of what's happening over there and then leave. And obviously when we went there, it turned into a pitch meeting by accident. Um, and that's what got our foot in the door in terms of like getting the show onto CBC Gem. How exciting, how exciting was that? Um, during the process? <laughs> but like after, like you walk out there, like, I don't know, you, you made it sound like you went in there, you pitched, yeah, let's sign on the dotted line. So like when that process is over and papers have been signed and you walk out onto Front Street or wherever. Yeah. <laughs> call it Front Street. Is it, was it Front Street? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're definitely setting the image, the, the background. Very tell tell me, you guys, you guys look at each other what happens? Uh, we laughed. I'm yeah. super cynical, yeah. uh, so I didn't feel anything. <laughs> it's confusion. It's confusion. Yeah. CBC yeah. Gem, who watches that? I love that episode you put together, though. Thank By you. the way, that was, that was freaking hilarious. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I, this was more so, I, I think Tashan can tell it much better. But I mean, again, before this process, our whole thing was just like, OK, well, anytime we don't know if we're ever going to have to pitch something or if we're going to run into somebody who's like important as an exec. So it's just kind of like me, Phil and Tashan would be at this table that we're at. We're just like, okay, what's the, what's the one liner we tell everybody for next stop? What are the four episodes? What are the themes we're trying to say? So I think in that conversation, we were already kind of, we had accidentally prepared for that moment. So when we just came out, it was just kind of a weird, like I looked at Tashan, I'm like, that didn't seem like we were like having coffee and catching up. Like yeah. that sounded like, they were interested in terms of what the season, where the season was going to go and what we'd want to do in the future. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I kind of laughed it off. I'm like, cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it just it, so much confusion just to like, was how, I guess we know we can trace how we ended up in this room, but it's just very interesting of like the, the amount of things that happened for us to at least yeah. get there. Um, and just, yeah, we thank Amar because like, uh, to be honest, there's, there's nothing in him that, um had to like help us or even like try to like yeah. extend an olive branch um sure but the fact that he just said oh like he's interested in up uh bringing up the next uh generation of filmmakers or just like the next voices he's just like okay well uh, this is what i can do for you and that's that's me yeah okay let's might as well get the side of the way otherwise i'm going to forget uh, let's go around the table. We'll 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 uh, we'll start off with uh, with you, Phil. Uh, best patties. Where do you get them from? <laughs> the best patties? Oh man. Uh, the the restaurant I used to go to Humber College for journalism. Um, uh, they had a restaurant in there. They had a drinking spot. Those patties were great. But I think in terms of, I'm just there always. I've actually never been to Warden Station. Uh, so it has to be Islington patties by <laughs> default. So. You you wrote that you wrote that in the in the in the episode right? <laughs> was that you? 
That was unfortunately to Sean. Unfortunately. But yes, I support East End. It's East End all the way. It's a warden station. Uh, or yeah, just anywhere east. That's now, which which place at Warden Station? Because there used to be one, but now there's two places you can get patties there. Yes, I, it's the one that's closest to. Um, Okay, the one on the left, um, yeah. next it's to the... I've never even thought about the restaurant. As you're leaving the subway and you go up the stairs to get to the buses. Yes. Yes. On right? the left. Is it the next... first one? Um, yes. Yes. Pretty well, much. Me, yeah. um, and then oh, it's right. next to... Um, the one that's next to the uh, the clothing spot. That's just... Yeah, I don't even know a name. That no one goes yeah. to. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know their names either. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. So you guys are wrong. Sorry, you don't win the prize. Wait. <laughs> what about Bathurst? <laughs> okay. Bathurst smells good. Doesn't it? Like you can't no, help no, it. Does smell good. It does smell good. Um, I'll even give it up to Islington. Some, I'm like, oh, this like smells good, I guess. Like I'm happy the West End has like some type of wind, but like, no, it's still like it's always gonna be warden. Yeah. I think like there's too much. I mean, nostalgia, memories all shape like biases. Like, if, I mean, if I'm being like a, attempting to be objective, there's like very subtle difference just in terms of like the pastry and the texture and the meat and the bread or whatever, whatnot. But like, generally speaking, like when you're done, you're like, yeah, okay, that was great. But I think Warden, especially for me, um, just coming from the East End, like there's more history there. I've seen like, I'm like, you know, you go into patties and like it's great, and then you see like somebody shouting at somebody or somebody throwing like water or something. Like it's just it's fun <laughs> memories. They're kind of dark, but it's That's just scarier, like, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's it's a it's a feeling, and I'm all like, yeah, like I want to see all of this mayhem while I'm enjoying this amazing patty. So it's just like that. That to me just speaks volumes. I don't know. Islington is maybe a bit more peaceful. I don't like it. Yeah, Islington is just is actually overrun by pigeons. Yeah, like uh, the line the line of the episode is truth. Like it is. Yeah. Woof. And it's all about territory. It's like, no, who's gonna who's claiming Bathurst? Like, what is the yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honest guys is even in there anymore. So <laughs> it's I, I don't do you guys maybe it's just me, but I, I have sort of this romantic thing about about patties. Yeah. Because I used to um so we used to live, I mean still in Scarborough, but uh you guys know Peanut Plaza? Yes. So that wasn't too far out of the way from where we live. So we used to go to, my mom used to go to, back when there used to be a store called Consumers Distributing. I don't know if you ever heard of that. No. No, oh my goodness. Consumers Distributing was like Amazon before there was Amazon. Anyways, we'd go to the, we'd go to Peanut Plaza and we'd go to Allen's Pastries. And my, my mom used to get these cocktail ones, these cocktail patties. And we used to take like eight of them to school. We'd warm them up in the microwave before and we'd wrap them up in foil, put it in our school bag, and we had like eight of them for lunch, uh, like the best ever. Um, and so when I think about patties, I always think of mom uh, getting those uh, uh, get, getting those cocktail patties uh, for sure. But um, another thing, I'll tell another story I have about patties is that it taught me about um, diversity. There was a place on, there's still a plaza there at Finch and Leslie. Okay. okay. Um, and there was a variety store on the north end of this plaza. And uh, we'd go for like Saturday religious classes around the area. And then we'd play like, uh, we'd play like touch football afterwards for a couple of hours in the field, school fields there. And we'd go to this place to get like a patty and a, and a Coke or something like that. And I remember going in, the patties were still there. I, maybe it was a different owner. This is like decades ago now. And when the owner spoke, she was Chinese, but there was a Jamaican accent that came out. Yes. And I just remember, I still remember to this day staring and saying, I, I'm, I'm in like the twilight zone. And that sort of taught me about diversity. Uh, one of the lessons that, that, that I learned about, you know, where people come from and you know, the, the, the rich nature of where, you know, the movement of people um, all over the world. But uh, I'm wondering whether it's just a, I'm wondering whether you, have, you guys have stories like that about, about patties and stuff. 
I mean, I think like if my favorite patty spot, like actually, actually is like in Malvern Town Center, because that's where I spent like most of my years. And, and like, again, it was like in some weird, like Italian cafe. uh, But again, like the specific uh, and it's, it's like beside no frills. It's also, all of that is all just like a drug front. Like they don't really do anything there. There's clothes there. Like they definitely like distribute drugs. Don't tell them I said that and that everybody there knows. It's like just a glorified plaza. But I mean, again, it's just like, it's those type of moments where again, like you're having a patty, you're just kind of relaxing. You're having conversations. The person like behind the counter is like, again, uh, Chinese. There's someone in the back who is clearly like a Jamaican woman. And then we're just kind of having a conversation, just kind of shooting the shit and like, those are moments that you value, um, even though you don't realize in the moment like how precious they're going to be. And I think you hit on something when you were saying like in regards to like it, thinking about your mom and those memories, it's just like patties in that way. I think for a lot of people, the cities or the ends that they come from, they're kind of in a weird way, almost like you're defending like your mom's cooking. Like effectively, if somebody comes from the West End and says Warren Patties are trash, I'm just like, you've basically just come into my home and told my yeah. mom that she can't cook for shit. That's a fight. Yeah. So as yeah. such, like we're going to have verbal warfare over this. And it's just like, yeah, it's just the patties, again, the patties are all great. There's like, there is differences, but like it just comes to like, the memories and like where you were brought up and how special and the meanings it has to you. And then like, why wouldn't you want to defend that? Yeah. I know they call, they call it a Jamaican patty. I'm wondering, I don't know Jabari if you're from Jamaica or not. Uh, Do they actually have patties in Jamaica? Yeah. Okay. Cause I've never seen them anywhere else in the world. Um, Yeah, no, they have it, but they're in Jamaica. So I think um, everyone's very familiar with like, kind of like the, the, Cross, uh, like almost um, kind of like the half moon thing. Yeah. There, especially when in Jamaica, it actually comes like kind of like a rectangle. Um, and it's okay. like almost like a softer. They actually sell it that way uh, when you go to Warner Station and actually Islington as well. Um, so you had it like had frozen it. like that, like the patty. Oh, like, yeah, like that long, almost like long yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's generally how it comes, where kind of like the half moon, almost like pizza pop looking patty is like definitely more. I mean, it's still there. Like, you, you can find it like that in Jamaica, but, like, that's more definitely, I think, a case of it just, like, evolving in North America, I guess. Like, just, like, when you eat a pizza in Italy versus you eat pizza at, like, Pizza Pizza. It's very different. <laughs> you could have yeah. said anywhere but Pizza Pizza. In <laughs> New York. You could have said, I don't know, Domino's. Why did you say Pizza Pizza? I love to disrespect Pizza yeah. Pizza and cuisines. <laughs> Phil, is that your favorite place, Pizza Pizza? Damn. No, yeah. no, I'm just, I, I'm just addressing Javari's metaphor there because I thought like, okay, yeah, the, the, the patty as it evolves as it goes from Jamaica to Toronto and then the pizza as it evolves from Italy to, you know, the whole pizza. pizza in New York. <laughs> so then you just say pizza, pizza, just like, why is that the first thing that comes to your head? You know, Butter like, trash. Like, Shout out to the creamy so garlic sauce. <laughs> yeah, the oh, dip there is great. Yeah, yeah, the dip is amazing. Hey, the pizza there. How, how shit, how shitty is the TTC, guys? Uh, it's a piece of crap. <laughs> I kind of miss it, actually. I do not. I, yeah. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't gone on it since the pandemic started. So, like, I don't know. I mean, the fact is, like, at this point, the TTC has never been emptier, like, and run more efficient. And even with, like, none of those bodies there, it's still late and delayed. So that's <laughs> all you need to know about TTC. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know a more mediocre train service except for, like, maybe New York. Yeah. But at least, like, they go past... New York like, has an excuse. New York is, like, trying to, like, do algebra with that, like, transit yeah. system. Like, ours is just two lines. They have, like, at least an excuse, like, all that, like, space mileage they have to cover. Yeah. Like, we have no excuse. don't take too much. Like, each other. I don't... So, like, why... Yeah. It is... I don't understand. It was funny what they said. Award-winning. I think it was in episode one. Yeah, like, this is the award-winning. We still have those decals on the trains. It's amazing. Yeah, me and my buddy, we 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 were curious. Like, wait, is were they the only train? Were they the only subway system that applied? Did they create sure. this award yeah. themselves? Absolutely <laughs> no way. There's no yeah. way. There's transit of the year. I'm sure nobody even knew you could go up for that award. They saw it <laughs> like a cute pivot where like let's get some positive press. I don't. I don't know if Toronto collectively has ever been that united in anger, like the transit of the year camped onto the subway. Like, 
that was like violently yeah. rude to anyone who takes the TTC, especially in the morning. It's, like, the, yeah. insult. it's just the insult of like, you're just standing there like already late for work. Yeah. And then you see that sign for the first time and you're like, this does not make sense. This yeah. does not compute. Like what's going on here? Like, yeah. It is. But at the same time, it's, you know, so I, I live in Scarborough and there's like places in Scarborough that if you don't have a car yeah. and you work downtown or anywhere along Young Street or the West End, it's like, forget about it. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's no way that that you're, you're gonna have to move you drive everywhere like i'm i was raised i'm still in currently in mississauga and that is a city built for cars it's not like downtown toronto you could argue is built for walking and biking like it's compact enough but saga forget about it you have to you have to drive everywhere it's just vast expanses of suburbs and roads yeah and, and, and as bad as the ttc is is i'm wondering like what happened like it, it must be frustrating. Like we're fortunate enough that, you know, I, I, I'll drop my son to school twice a week, you know, when he has to physically show up there. Um, otherwise he'd be taking like at least two buses yeah. uh, to get to school. And so I'm wondering like those families that don't have a car or they might, but mom and or dad need to get to like far flung places to, to make income. Um, you know how how do they how do these kids get around on on transit that is you know at best always delayed you know and and at worst you know just too much stress on it yeah i mean there, there's really there's no other option i mean i mean uber is way too expensive i think you just kind of deal with it like yeah it's crazy I mean, even yeah. now, like in the middle of COVID, like a TTC bus specifically, depending on whatever end you're on, like is well, even in Scarborough, like it's still packed because just like, how else are you going to get anywhere? Like you're not going to pay like 15 to $20 to take an Uber to work every day. Because if you could do that, you wouldn't need to take the bus. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm near one of the last stops going like west for a bus, the best going, the 50 going westbound from Islington. And like most of the people get off there. Like, hmm. I don't know anywhere else where like most people get off on the actual last stop of that bus. And it's just interesting because like at least, I don't want to say at least, but like just um, one of the good things I guess to come out of COVID is the fact that like people can stay home uh, and work uh, because yeah. traveling from Scarborough and there's a snowstorm, good luck getting home. Like that's going to be a three hour battle, uh, four hour battle um, coming from downtown or just coming from somewhere that uh, requires um, transportation. Um, so yeah, um, I'm pretty sure some people are happy that the fact that like, at least for this winter, they can stay home during a snowstorm. Um, obviously, there's some circumstances that are not um, ideal. Yeah. Yeah, ideal. My, uh, my friend that uh, I host the music podcast with, uh, before we started that we were thinking of making a Toronto podcast. And mm. um, like he's traveled the world, he used to work for Flight Center. Uh, oh, yeah. doing digital for them. So he had, you know, he was in charge of digital for the whole company. So he'd fly all over the world to all the different offices and the set, you know, the cities and stuff. And he always said to me, Toronto is the best city in the world. I said, you've been everywhere. You've been to Cape, you've been to Cape Town, you've been to Australia and Toronto's the best. He goes, yeah. And so I said, okay, we need to start. And I'd always complain. I said, the TTC sucks. I said, the arts and culture, if you're not downtown sucks. Like everything, and, and I would just complain about stuff. I said, we don't got any nice parks out here in, in, in the burbs. All the cool parks are downtown, you know. They've got the nicest flowers and such. And so we were going to start a podcast where I'd bitch and complain about Toronto. And he would, he would you know, give, give Toronto all, all, the, uh, all the props and stuff. And I was thinking of that as I was uh, watching your last episode, Pool. Um, you know, where the guy in the middle is talking about, hey, this is a, you know, he seemed to be on the side of Toronto. Yeah. Where uh, the two ladies he was with saying, yeah, you know, I can't, I can't wait to get out of here. Yeah. yeah. You know, how do you guys feel about the city? Uh, I definitely identify much more with Vanessa. Um, so on the right side, um, I think, I mean, yeah, like, I do think in my mind when I think about Toronto, like, and I'm, I'm, it's funny that you're speaking of your friend who's kind of been everywhere. Cause I'm like, Anthony Bourdain has also been everywhere and he's 
like famously said that Toronto's an ugly city. I'm like, great. I'm not the only one. Um, <laughs> He's the only one who had enough insight. Yeah, the sauce, yeah, the flavor, uh, RIP. Yeah. Um, I definitely think, like, again, Toronto is very unique and rare in the fact that, you know, you have a mix of different cultures, the cultural mosaic, air quotes, that everyone likes to call it. But I don't think, that as a city, um, it does much favors to the people who have made it like prominent like specifically again black torontonians like um i was just mentioning this in another interview is just like drake what brings in like what 500 million to a billion in terms of like tourism dollars um and then we talk about it you just mentioned like the prominence of like you know again toronto slang and accent and it becoming like part of the value package that is coming to the city and yet like year after year, those efforts just continue going towards the growth of condos and yeah. nothing to, again, feed like the use, the entertainment across the GTA. So it's just like, it's hard to reconcile any real love for a city that just takes, 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 um, and seems to have no interest in giving back, but still like saying like, oh yeah, you know, we the North, unity or whatever. And I'm like, I'm just not I'm not built to continue to love something that doesn't love me back. But obviously, again, there's a great love I have for the people who I do have connections with here, which, again, like are invaluable to this process and just uh, emotionally. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you said that Anthony Bourdain thought that Toronto is the ugliest city. Um, and I always thought that and it, it, I snapped with it when you guys know that uh, that TV show uh, Handmaid's Tale. Yes. yes, yes. Dystopian story. Yeah. Like you watch that and it, there's no color in it outside of the red that the maids wear. And where is it filmed? In Toronto. fucking bleak Toronto. Yeah. It's great. No, we have, we have all the brutalist architecture here. Like you have Robarts already. It's just like, oh yeah, like that just looks like a, you know, a sci-fi doom fortress. Like it's just... Yeah. And yeah. that's where they've got Resident Evil and Hannibal. So again, like it just it's horror shows as Toronto's background if we're not pretending to be New York City. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we are, it's it's like Toronto gets blown to bits and stuff in those movies, yeah. right? It's like it's perfect. It's, it already looks ugly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot about how like uh William Gibson, who wrote like Neuromancer and like basically founded the cyberpunk uh genre of sci-fi, like all of he was thinking of like Tokyo. This is like in the 80s. He's thinking of Tokyo in terms of aesthetics, but like all the slang, the grit, like the weird, like the, the, yeah, the nastiness is just like, oh yeah, I took all that from like living in Toronto. Like I just like, the future slang is just like the drug dealer slang from like there in like the 60s and 70s. Like, yeah, just the, it, it, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting city we have here. There is, I guess, a character to its ugliness, but I also think that our critiques of it do come from a place of love as well. And mm. hoping that there is a potential in there that just hasn't been fulfilled yet. For them, not me. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, is, what is season two going to bring? Is it, is it going to bring more of this conflict between Toronto, the good, Toronto, the, 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 the bad? Like what, what's, what, what can we look forward to? Is it season two? <laughs> yeah. It, there, of course, it's like, there has to be a season two. You made season one, got picked up by Scarborough, which is hilarious that the company name is Scarborough. Oh, yeah, okay. I just, <laughs> the person less respect for me, but okay. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, no, if we were to make season two, um, we would want the scope, yeah, air quotes, uh, we would want to broaden the scope of the stories. Um, just, um, I was, we were in, uh, talking about this earlier, we're just like, okay, well, pretty much outside of beef that was shot outside. Um, the other three episodes were pretty much in one specified location. Uh, so like we would love to start moving around in one episode and also just uh, expand the, le uh, the length as well. So like we wanted to stay in the four minute range because that was our, like the budget, but then also we would like to experiment with the 10 minute, 12 minute, um, that uh, range in terms of episodes, but also just start going into different pockets in Toronto um, I'm part of the LGBTQ community, so I would love a story that goes into that uh, world a bit, um, as well as go into different age ranges as well. Um, so yeah. In perfect, perfect. Yeah. That, that leads me to some of my, go, sorry, go ahead, Jabari, you were gonna say something? No, I was saying like he, no, he said it perfectly. Like yeah. again, the theme is just always going to be, again, as you said, like that back and forth between good or bad of Toronto, but I mean, 
ultimately wh whether you love Toronto or not, like it's, it's a game of survival really. And just like, that's where some of the fun comes from, but that's also why there's always like a little level of like, I don't know, I guess melancholy, uh, bittersweet. Um, but like, that's where you get like all the funny, right? Like again, just like yeah, that yeah. pain after. But yeah, just these are, these are stories that can only be told here. They're they're like situations that could only happen because of the systems and institutions here, you know. Like, but they are still universal. That is true. Um, let me ask each of you this question. Um, I'm not going to keep you guys too much longer. Thanks so much for for staying with me this long. By the way, um, what do you, what do you guys what are you guys working on next? Like, you know, outside of season two in air quotes, um, <laughs> what are you guys, what are you guys currently working on? Um, so currently, like, I guess you mean outside of uh, next stop. Uh, yeah. um, we're looking to do, I think the next thing that we're always going to do, whether again, it's in tandem with this or a little bit after, um, again, a possible filming of season two. I hate contracts. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we, uh, I think definitely get to more documentary work. Um, me and Sean actually were with a really good friend of ours and a possible writer on a possible season two. Um, and I think just having the conversation about like the rich history of Toronto, like there's a lot of these great summer camps that were like definitely allocated to specifically gay women. Like there's these amazing soca fests that used to happen in Kensington Market before it was like drastically gentrified and like, people getting pushed out and there's so much rich history in Toronto that I don't think gets talked about because also people don't know and I don't think Toronto's done a great job in terms of not just Black Street like just its history as a city hasn't mm. done a great job with cataloging so I think we definitely want to dig deep into the minds and like again still create compelling like audience like entertaining content but definitely within the documentary world I'm like maybe playing around the idea of like doing like a short cartoon with a friend or whatever whatnot but I think the way we've pivoted, and uh, the other two can definitely speak for, for themselves personally, just like Next Stop has accidentally become like our main baby. And then like we, we like pivot to other side projects just to like let off the fumes and like keep our ideas and creativity going. And then we just return to it more refreshed and renewed. Um, and yeah, it just continue building uh, from there. And then obviously, again, we'll love to and we'll plan to get into more short films res respectively from, from all of us and then into full length. Yeah. And who knows? Because again, what all of life laughs at all these plans. <laughs> exactly, exactly. COVID is or yeah. whatever. Just yeah. Like, no. Phil, what about yourself? Uh, myself, I'm just working on treatments and scripts like like I mean, like Jabari, I'm like a, a first-time filmmaker. Pool was the first time I'd directed anything, although the two of us directed that together. Uh, but uh, yeah, I did the storyboard for that episode too, so that was the first time me kind of like artistically helming like a like a visual media. Uh, so still with these guys, of course, um, uh, because I think we all have similar interests and similar touchstones. Uh, I would want to be working on like short films that explore um, uh, like narrative films that explore the, the experiences of Toronto's first generation uh, youths, like specifically starting with um, uh, uh, Brazilians because that's half of my family. Half of my family is from the Northeast of Brazil, the state of Bahia. Um, uh, and that's just a culture that has generally gotten short shrift on film, even though they're like wonderful films, like say like, City of God, like it's like you know that that's just Rio de Janeiro, like that's not all of Brazil. So I would want to do something, but the Brazilian Canadian experience, and then hopefully go on to more communities here, like those stories of those kinds of like immigrant families, first generation kids making a living here, like that's all. Like what I see here, what the identity of this city is all first generation, like like families, anyways, and I. Think it's about time like we 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 saw that to show that network of how they all communicate with each other and their stories which could be funny or sad or horrifying or life affirming like yeah awesome to shine yourself um working uh pretty much con connect what they uh what these guys said and pretty much that's what i'm doing as well um it's more so just like um 
now just waiting, um, I guess, for, you know, contracts and stuff to be figured out, but uh, just um, continue on doing independent, uh, independent work. Um, nice. Whether that, yeah, just focusing on telling uh, good, authentic stories. Yeah. Yeah, nice. If contracts are, are sort of the big thing, it must be nice that you guys, like it seems to me that you guys are sort of doing, just sort of, you're following your passions. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, if you look back three years, like so much has changed for you guys. Yes, so. it has. Oh my God. Life, piety has changed. Yes. So, Forever. So much, so yeah. But I'll tell listen, I, um, before I said, yeah, let me talk to these guys. I watched the first uh, episode beef and I said, oh, yeah, I need to talk to these guys because there's something, there's something here. So congratulations. Okay, on making it, congrats on, on making the project. Congratulations on the success so far. And um, next stop can be watched free, no yeah. sign up required. Yes. On uh, on CBC Gem. Um, where else can people go to find out more about what you guys are up to, whether it's with Next Stop or any of your other projects? Uh, they can follow us on the Next Stop the Series Twitter, um, Next Stop the Series Instagram. Um, and then we also have our YouTube uh, called Bare Minimum. So B-A-R-E-M-I-N-I-M-U-M. Um, but yeah, again, if specifically interested in video content, just have a, have a swing at our YouTube channel, Bare Minimum. That's where we have all of our video content. Awesome. Jabari to Sean. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say the ads are next stop series uh, for both Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Awesome. Guys, thank you, Jabari, Tashawn, Phil. Thank you so much for thank your you so time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Take care, guys. Take care. Peace. Have a good night. Have a good night. Good night.